Wealth Tactic Rebels, ingenious tactics to accumulate wealth for people who see things differently. Welcome to another discussion with Wealth Tactic Rebels, the podcast for people who see things differently. I'm your host, Kevin Dumont, and you know, I've been thinking differently in the wealth field for nearly 15 years now. Today we're going to be talking about what we call overcoming the fear of wealth. And uh, I have a lovely guest today joining us, Dr. Lindsay Elmore. Lindsay, how are you today? Very well. Thanks for having me. Well, I really appreciate you being here today, and I'm sure our our listeners do as well. Uh, Looking forward to our discussion today. If you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit with our listeners about your background of where you came from, what inspired you to, to do what you do? How did you get there? I am originally from Birmingham, Alabama, born and raised in the South. I graduated from undergraduate school there, have a degree in chemistry, and then moved all the way to San Francisco to go to the University of California, San Francisco, where I went to pharmacy school and obtained my doctorate. From there, I went back to Birmingham and did my first year of postdoctoral residency, then did a second year in North Carolina, where I focused on patients with chronic disease states, the disease states everybody's got, diabetes, hypertension, hyperlipidemia, all of it. And then after that, I joined faculty at a school of pharmacy, and I found myself ever evolving into this more natural wellness realm. I enjoyed Chinese medicine. I loved the study of herbs. I loved learning more about vitamins and minerals and how they worked alongside Western medicine. And I kept getting pushed that direction. And then one day, essential oils came into my life. And it's hard to explain. But from that moment on, my life just changed trajectories. I became very driven, wanted to learn everything I could about them. And since then, have gone on to pursue a full-time business in natural wellness education. At this point, I've spoken on five continents, published three books, and spoken in more than 30 countries on the subject. Wow, fantastic. So you're very accomplished in, in that <laughs> in that field. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, you know, it. I always find it interesting, too, because when I was young, like five, six years old, I started doing martial arts, uh-huh. and I did uh, Taekwondo. And maybe it's weird, but somehow that kind of got me interested in a lot of the more non-traditional medicines and healings, you know. Uh, my instructor used to do this thing he called karate camp in the summer we used to go to. And there was someone there, one of the um, instructors, one of the guest instructors, who actually was really into acupressure. Uh-huh. Acupuncture and acupressure. But, of course, they, are, they weren't doing acupuncture. They were just doing acupressure. And I was, sure. I don't know, probably 11 years old or something like that at that time. It, and it left an impression on me because they, they did little demonstrations. I was like, oh, my God, it really made a difference. I felt something when they did that. Well, I think that the Western medicine system is so broken because we wait until we are sick to engage with mm-hmm. what we call health care. Right. Health care is actually sick care. And I think what's special about these alternative practices is it's all about prevention. And the same analogy could be made for wealth. You know, wealth and money is something that you must 
plan for. You must have that prevention, that planning strategy so that you don't end up waiting until something is wrong. Right. Because, you know, today we're talking about the fear of wealth. And if you are, if you live in that fear and all of a sudden you're 65, 70 years old and you realize you've got no savings and you go, oh no, what am I going to do now? Financial woes are I think the biggest woes that you can have, you know, you can be sick in body, but financial woes make it worse. Anything that's wrong in your life, if you also don't have money, makes it worse. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. I've been uh, on both ends of the stick, so to speak, and I agree 100% with that. Absolutely. What are we talking about when we're talking about overcoming the fear of wealth? I think that there are two mindsets that you can have. You can have a mindset of poverty or you can have a mindset of abundance. You can have a mindset where you say, well, my family has always had this much money. I will have this much money. It's very much that class mentality that still exists, especially in Europe and most especially in India, where you say, I was born at this level. I will stay at this level. There's also poverty mentalities when people look around and they go, well, she's got a million dollars. Why do I not? There's that comparison that's a problem as well. On the opposite end of the spectrum, you can have an abundance mentality, which I feel I've been very richly blessed because even as a small child and all throughout my life, I number one was born into a solidly middle-class family. And so I never didn't have a roof over my head. I always had nice, nice clothing. My parents always had stable jobs, didn't have cars that were breaking down all the time. So I, I had a good footing to get me started. And that is worth a lot in this world. But my mindset was always that I could be that, I could surpass it that there was nothing stopping me from doing that. And I also didn't have that perception of, well, so-and-so's already done that thing that was going to make me millions. They've already taken that piece out of the pie. I just was like, well, I don't know. I'm just going to do me and I'm just going to figure out ways to create pies to, you know, and pass them out and give them to other people. Whether or not it's the same pie, you're just going to do your own thing. Well, there is, you know, I think that we so often are, and people ask me all the time because I, I do have a large social media following and people say, oh my gosh, how did you get this following? What do I do? And I'm like, well, you show up every day for like five years straight and add value to people's lives. Like there's nothing magical. You know, you and I have talked about it too. Like how do you make a podcast epic? Well, you show up every day and you add value to people's lives. And I think when our intentions are about adding value both within our own life as well as in the lives of others, and when we stop worrying about, is this the absolute perfect financial decision? Is this not the perfect financial decision? It's really hard to make financial decisions, especially as 
an entrepreneur, especially when you first start out as an entrepreneur, and it's you. It's you sitting at your kitchen table trying to make things happen. And so we may not always know the right path, but going down the path with the understanding and the faith and the trust and the whatever you want to call it that says, I'm going to work my hardest and things are going to work out the way that they work out and the way that they work out is going to be just fine. Right. Yeah. When you have that kind of mindset, it's a little bit of, um, I deserve to do this. I deserve to have that success. I deserve to have that wealth. I deserve to um, have recognition for whatever it is. You know what I mean? Whatever goals you have in mind, it's that I deserve it versus, oh, well, you know. They have that. I'm not there. I'm not not there. Mary Kay Ash, the founder of the Mary Kay Cosmetics brand, says there's that for years, by the way. (laughs) Oh, my grandmother did it for years. You know, entrepreneurs in the in the basement of the house, you know, running running cosmetic companies out of the garage. I remember that. Oh, I do, too. Absolutely. And, (laughs) you know, Mary Kay Ash said that there are there are two things people want more than sex and money and they want praise and recognition and the recognition starts from within. You have to recognize number one, the message that you're bringing to the world has value. You yourself have value and there is someone out there who wants to hear the message that you are bringing because it has value to them. All we're looking for when we choose what to watch on TV or choose to who to invest with or who to work with, you know, we're, we're choosing people who put some kind of reflection in our face and say, Oh, I see myself in them. Right, right, right. Somehow they make a connection with, uh, if it's you, you, your yep. business. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a personal connection, which is one of the reasons why I like what we're doing right now. I feel like this yeah. is a very personal connection with people. Absolutely. And so I think, you know, get over it. Even I, not too long ago, my financial planner, as well as my accountant, really started putting pressure on me to start a trust fund. They were like, you know, you've got this business. What's going to happen? You know, God forbid you drop dead tomorrow. What happens to this? And I had to go through and battle and be like, who am I to deserve the trust fund? And then I was like, who am I not to deserve the trust fund? I've worked really hard. And all you're doing by creating a will, by creating a trust, by creating long-term financial plans is just saying, I'm going to put the building blocks in place to make my life as comfortable later as it is today. And if something terrible happens to me, I am protecting my family and my friends from having to bicker and decide what happens with all of the finances that I've built within this lifetime. Right. Because that can tear a family apart. So that's absolutely something you have to plan for. And it's not just the bickering too, but it's also making sure that they're taken care of. If if you don't have it set up, they're not going to get maybe what they deserve, talking about deserving, right? And then they're not going to be able to manage it. That's very important. You want to make sure what you want to have happen to the people that you love and care about happens. And you also want to make sure that you're passing money correctly through the generations of your family so that you don't end up passing 
wealth upward or even laterally can be a bad move. It's much better when you're passing down generations because you are able to, number one, I think impact people at a great transformational point in their lives. When you have a family member who I think of my nephew, you know, if if I am blessed enough to be able to fund his college or to fund him traveling Europe for a year when in his early 20s, that is transformational for the rest of his life. Right. You know what I mean? You can invest in all the all the family members. And, you know, I think you mentioned tearing families apart. I think what money can do to husbands and wives is even scarier with half of the half of the divorces in the US having something to do with finance, put it on paper. Just put it on paper so that you understand and be kind to one another during negotiations and your family and your peace of mind is set. Yeah, absolutely true. You know, I think another part too of of what we're talking about there, when you're talking about passing wealth on, it's absolutely important and should be done to be able to put put the building blocks in paper and make sure it's set so that people are good to go. But the other part of it is that you're talking about the mindset that you've been able to achieve, right? Because your parents gave you a certain mindset. Now you've had that and you've kind of grown with that. So now the next step is to take that mindset to teach the next generation to overcome the fear of wealth, that they deserve it, what they need to know in their minds in order to achieve that level and continue to grow it. Mm -hmm. Well, as I said, I think that it is a huge leg up when you have security in your childhood. There is no doubt that if you were raised in a situation where food was scarce, where housing was scarce, where clothing was scarce, that can weigh on you. But I think that you can still live in an abundant mindset where it, I mean, I felt just as rich living in my $325 a month apartment back in college, no dishwasher, no washing machine, no washing machine, even in the building. Like I had to take everything to my mom's house. I felt so rich back then, even though I remember made mistakes back in college. We all do it and got into more credit card debt than I could handle. Um, Thankfully, I was working a job where I got paid every single week. And I remember regularly for months on end on Thursday night, my bank account went down to $3. Whatever I had went down to $3 and then I got paid on Friday and I had an X amount that I, that I went ahead and put towards the credit card bills. And whatever I saved through that week, my bank account went back down to $3. I still felt richly and abundantly abundantly blessed. I had a roof over my head. I was going to college. I, you know, again, another leg up, not going to lie, got a full ride to undergraduate, which really helped. I had a grandmother that helped me out. I got my financial feet up under me. But then I realized as an adult, nobody had really taught me how do you accumulate more wealth, not just, okay, pay every month into your 401k. Okay. Don't, you know, stay out of debt, but 
really and truly like how do you build up more because I'd seen friends and family like lose it being too risky in the stock market. I'd seen friends and family struggle and pull money out of savings accounts earlier and pay huge tax penalties. I didn't want to be in that situation. I wanted to say, you know, I think young people listening to this, if you have never had money, you know, if you're straight out of college and you're in your first job, the greatest thing that you can do for your life is continue to live like you don't have money. You know, I'm making a lot more money now than I ever have, but I still pay myself a salary and I still like the rest of it is just business operating expenses. You know, when people, you know, you hear these great big numbers of like, you know, a million dollar independent business. If you're smart, out of that milli, only 75,000 is coming to you. You know, the rest of it is just making the operation run and giving you the freedom to explore new pet projects, explore maybe starting another company, figuring out what drives you and makes you passionate and gives you the freedom also to say, you know what? When I am old and gray, this is what I want to be doing. And that long-term vision is very important about who you want to be because it helps you to deal with all the, I call it push through the suck. You know, when you've just got to like push through the like, dang it, I really want this handbag, but I also really would like to buy a house within two years. You know, there's those, there's that balancing act. I would assume that, Having a little bit of that long-term foresight, knowing where you want to go, the picture of yourself, what you want to be in the future, that would help to overcome that whatever fears come up along the path that might hold you back, right? Yep, absolutely. I mean, when you live in fear, you cannot accomplish much of anything because you stay within that comfort zone. It's super comfortable to live scared. It is. And I think that being an entrepreneur is in ways a commitment to be ever so slightly terrified all of the time when it comes to making business decisions. But for me, my biggest learning lesson for this year, the biggest thing I think that I've learned this year as as both a businesswoman, but then also exploring ways that this also is in my life, the biggest learning lesson I've, I've learned is when you make one decision, it's not the end-all be-all. It's not the final say on this matter. And so if you're someone and you make a financial choice and it turns out really crappy, I mean, let's say you save up and you drop $5,000 in the stock market and you know something terrible happens, And all of a sudden you're looking at it and there's $1,200 in that account. And you're going, what the heck did I do? Number one, remember the words of Warren Buffett. The best time to get into the stock market is any time. The best time to get out is never. You just ride the wave. Remember those things. And remember, just because you made one bad move 
doesn't mean that number one, you have to continue making bad moves. It's like the poker rule, never throw good money after bad. When you're making bad gambling bets, you don't continue down that road. You say, crap, I made a mistake and you fold your cards. So don't throw good money after bad. And then also look at that mistake that you made and go, well, that was a mistake. Let me try, let me try something else next time. Let me try a safer option. Let me try something else. Right, right. We talk a lot about it. Well, talk to rebels about first avoiding losses before you you chase a rate of return, right? So yep. you, you you build your foundations. Yep. If you want to put money into something that's a risk, like you know maybe that five thousand dollars that turned into twelve hundred, there there was something risky about that situation, right? Yes. If you first set yourself up where you have a base of money that you can count on that will always be there, you can afford to take a loss and not be completely out. Right. If, if oh, you put, 100%. If, you took, if that 5000 was all you had and you put it in there, that's going to hurt, right? B- big time. Big, big time. time. But if you took money and you first put it into you, – you set yourself up with a foundation of money that you can count on that will definitely be there and then take 5000 from that and put it into your investment. Maybe that 5000 turned into 9000 Maybe it turned into 1200 like you said. But either way, you've got something to count on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, at least you've got six, eight months worth of living expenses in your savings account or be it in what are your other sort of short-term savings options that you like for people to use other than just stashing it under the bed? We talk about what we call a safe tank and it can vary a little bit depending on people's situation, but a safe tank is defined as money that you can count on. So it has some sort of guarantees, some sort of floor of growth that you can Mm -hmm. count on. That floor has to exceed inflation because if you're not mm-hmm. exceeding inflation, then you're losing value, even, yep. even if you're not losing dollars. So something right. like a regular savings account doesn't really count, even though there's yep. a guarantee. You can't lose the money, but you're losing value because it doesn't, right. doesn't grow enough. You have to have access to it. If you lost your $5,000 and you've got to pay your bills um, and you don't have any money sitting in your bank account, you, know, you, you have to have access to it for whatever purpose. Mm-hmm. It could be anything you know, that you need yeah. access. Because it's never a matter of if you're going to need money. It's a matter of when you're going to need money. When you're going to need it. Right? Yeah. So those are the things in, in risk, the guarantees of help you avoid the risk, like market risk and tax risk, which is a big one. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yes. Because, because you can't control tax. So you need to be able to have money in there that you can get access to without mm-hmm. having to worry about, you said something earlier, people take money out of their accounts too early and then they end up having to pay tax penalties. Well, that's a problem. Yep. If, you set your, if all your money is in your 401k and you want to you know, get something, maybe an investment house or, or whatever it is. You take that money out there early, you pay income tax, and you pay 10% penalty on top of that. So that's not good. That doesn't work, right? I can't really give recommendations over the podcast specifically of where to put your money. For sure, for but, sure. But, you know, I mean, you know, if people individually want to ask me, I can talk with them about their individual situation and figure it out with them. What fits everything that we're looking for or you're looking for to make that safe account? Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm just going to backtrack for a moment here, you know, going back to the idea of, of overcoming the fear of wealth. Do you have any uh, tips that you could share with our listeners, you know, things that you learned along the way that could help them with that mindset change? There's two major ways that we can really shift our mindset. The first is how we talk to ourselves. If you find yourself in a loop where you're telling yourself, well, I've never had money. 
I can't afford it. I don't deserve it. Whatever those myths are, eliminate them. If you have had your dream, you know, for me, I dreamt of getting my first pair of Christian Louboutins. You know, we're talking an $800 pair of flipping shoes here, but I dreamt of them. I wanted them. I really, really wanted it. And I remember telling myself, when you pay off your student loans, if you still want them, you can have them. So I paid off my student loans. And then all of a sudden, you know, a month later, the $2,000 or whatever I was paying towards the student loans wasn't due. And I sat there and I was like, well, I've got $2,000 extra dollars right now. Do I want those shoes? And I was like, there's a lot more I could spend $2,000 on. And so I just kept going. I gave myself permission. And I said, whenever you want them, you can go get them. You paid off your student loans. Year and a half go by, a big event comes up that I'm the host of. And I was like, now's my moment. And I went and I bought the shoes that I had dreamt of for so long. And I think having those dreams and having goals that make those dreams become a reality is a wonderful place to be. Get over it if you don't think you deserve it. Do something that makes you think you deserve it. Pay off your car and then say, you know what? I've always wanted to take a road trip to Sedona, Arizona. Go. Just do it. Whatever it is. Pay off yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and so setting those tangible goals and then also realizing that minimalism is definitely a thing You do not have to spend all your money on objects. You do not have to spend all of your money in pursuit of dead ends. So choose wisely what you do with your money, but your money is there to work for you and make your life easier. And if you are caught up in a mindset where you're like, I don't know what to do, then I recommend one great book. It is by an author named Janine Roth, and she wrote a book. It's called Lost and Found. So Janine was a New York Times, it is a New York Times bestselling author, and she had all of her money tied up with um, Bernie Madoff. And her husband calls her one day. He is on a fishing excursion up around the Arctic Circle. And calls him and says, you know, Janine picks up the phone and her husband's like, hey, hon, we're having a great time. And she goes, Madoff's a fraud. Madoff is a fraud. We have nothing. And he's like, what are you talking about? And she's like, we have nothing anymore. She went from having more than $5 million in savings to less than $35,000 in a checking account. And her mortgage was $7,500 a month. So she went from five millies to seven months rent in the checking account. So her husband says on the phone, says, we are no longer the people that can afford satellite phone calls and just hangs up. And she has to sit for days and days on end while he's still on this Arctic fishing excursion, just dealing with this massive loss. And so Janine has been on a a massive spiritual journey as far as her relationship with food. And so she calls one of her spiritual gurus and You know, she's like, I've lost all of my money. I have nothing. I don't know what I'm going to do. And her spiritual guru says, nothing of real value has been lost. 
And she's like, don't you talk this to me right now? And just hangs up the phone. And she hosts retreats that help women get a better understanding of their relationship with money. And there's a fascinating exercise that she does at these retreats where she gives everyone in the room, everyone in the room gets $3 out of their own pocket. You take $3. Some people go, well, I don't have $3. So they end up having three twenties. So they got 60 flipping dollars in their hands. So everybody in the room has these $3 bills and you go around the room and you can give away your dollar. You can accept it from someone else, but you cannot refuse to accept it. So if someone offers you a dollar, you cannot refuse to take it. You must take it. What is unveiled in these experiments is that there's a portion of the room that ends up with a stack of cash like this, and then there's a portion of the room that ends up with nothing, and there's a portion of the room that ends up with exactly what they started with. And it can really bring out some profound emotions that we have about money, which is, I don't deserve it. I can't accept it. I can't give it away. I've got to hold on to it. Or I just try to stay the same. I'm just the broker of other people's money, you know? And so I think reading that book can be a huge help to understand your relationship with money. And I think that exercise with your children, your friends, your family can really help open up a discussion about the way that money is supposed to be utilized within our lives because we should use our money for the betterment of self and the betterment of others and not for destruction. And a lot of people use money for destruction. True. Making our money work for us and for others is definitely the way to make the world work. I mean, that's kind of what's going on right now with uh with all the talks with the you know the upcoming elections and things where people are they're they're always talking about oh we need to find a way to have universal health care things so that's using our money to help ourselves and to help our fellow Americans and <laughs> absolutely and to help better the world and the world. and you know it's an interesting time to be watching watching politics and watching the debates especially with so many candidates among the Democratic field because I was just listening this morning and we're facing a trillion dollar deficit in our upcoming budget debates. And a trillion dollars, like I think for most people, a million dollars seems out of reach. A trillion dollars is a thousand times more than that. You know, we're talking big, big, big money Crazy here. Number, I know. Yeah. It's a big one. And so it is a matter of how do we use money judiciously? And we're never all going to agree on the right thing to do with money, but we can all do what's right for ourselves. Correct. And that's, right. I think, it is a great freedom that we have in this country. I agree. One thing I was going to mention too, you you talked about um, when you find yourself saying things like "I can't afford that." I think it was um, Robert Kiyosaki, author of Rich Dad Poor Dad. So he says, instead, the way to change that mindset is to start saying, "How can I afford that?" Uh huh. So that's I, don't know, I just thought I'd throw that out there as a little tip. That's and really I, and I cool. I do think it works. 
Yeah, that's absolutely, absolutely a thing. And I do, you know, if we're, we're throwing names around of people who have really influenced our opinions of finances, I mean, I graduated pharmacy school with uh, $157,000 in debt. Mm, mm. And I didn't know how I would ever get out from under that. And I have a lot of friends that are still paying on it. But I I don't know who even told me this, but someone said, ah, just listen to Dave Ramsey. And if you are floundering in debt, number one, I guarantee that that's affecting your relationships, your health, your sleep, all of it. Floundering in debt is a terrible situation to be in. And it worked for me. I think that it can work for other people. Line up all those debts, least to most, and knock out one at a time. For me, I went from six student loans to two within one year because instead of focusing on, well, this one's at 6% interest versus that one's at 3% interest versus, you know, and trying to pay based on avoiding future interest payments. I just paid off the ones that were the lowest amounts, right, you know. Right, like it's the snowball effect that you were you were doing, right? Yep. You, so you yep, pay yep. that smallest one off. Whatever extra you can put, you put towards that one. Once that's paid off, yep. you take that extra plus whatever you're paying to that one, pay the next smallest. Yep. It, it's a good strategy, you're right. And that's getting your mind out of a certain mindset and thinking a little bit differently about it. And I encounter this too with people, thinking just about the interest rate. There's a lot more to think about than just interest rate. It's not the only determining factor in what something costs. Absolutely. Your peace of mind and the interest that you pay on your mortgage is worth something. It's definitely worth something. So there's all kinds of intangibles. I agree. Right. right. Before we close today, I'm going to ask you for a value bomb. And that value bomb is our wealth way of thinking, which is let's first avoid losses, right? So what in your experience, is something that our listeners could look to avoid and then maybe some way that, you know, you could help them to do something about it. Avoid overspending. Avoid buying needless things and trying to keep up with the Joneses. Look around your home. If there are objects in your home that do not bring you value, do not bring you joy, do not serve a purpose, get rid of them. Get rid of them and then don't seek to fill love inside yourself with objects. And I know for me, that was a tough lesson to learn. Spend one month and buy nothing, buy nothing that you need. And then, you know, as Susie Orman says, intentionally live beneath your means all the time. No matter how much money you have, intentionally live beneath your means. Right, right. It's not a bad statement because, you know, there's always the human factor involved with everything. So if you're shooting for living, if you're making $80,000, you're looking to live on 70, you know, whatever, like, just just a number. Just Absolutely, saying, yeah. Whatever it is, you know, yeah, something's going to come up, you're going to end up spending 75, but you're still within that that margin, you know? Right, So yes. And, and then you have something you can count on. Well, and there's absolutely no need to flex. You know, there's no need to put on a show. Um, the biggest and best car, the biggest and best wardrobe, the the $5,000 handbag, great. But how much true value does it bring to you versus going, man, in seven years, I'm going to be taking 
a $15,000 vacation of my dreams because I put that $5,000 away today. Right. Yeah, exactly. Making the money work for you. So you're going to have a lot more in the long run. Yep. Before we go, is there anything you would like to talk to our, our listeners about? Maybe tell them a little bit about um, what you do, your, your um, uh, oils and, and whatnot. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, my name's Lindsay Elmore. You can find me at lindsayelmore.com and on social media channels at Lindsay Elmore. It's L-A-N-D-S-E-Y-E-L-M-O-R-E. I do have an educational supplement and essential oil club. If you are interested in learning more about essential oils or supplements, head over and shoot me an email to hello at lindsayelmore.com and I'll be happy to help you get started. And I think just for all of the women listening out there, let's all boss up together. And women, let's all also stay committed to talking about finances to colleagues who know more than us and um, teaching each other. Absolutely. I agree with that sentiment. That's fantastic. Yeah. So, Lindsay, I really appreciate you being on our show today. Uh, we've talked Absolutely. about so many great things, uh, like we were talking about bringing value. So you brought some value to the Wealth Tactic Rebels listeners today, and I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate it. Absolutely. And Wealthetic Rebels, I'm going to put Dr. Lindsay Elmore's, or Lindsay, as she likes to yeah. be called. <laughs> I answer to both. I answer both. But uh, I'm going to put her information on our WealthTacticRebels.com uh, website. So yep. you can reach out to her there. And also, I would like to have your help. If you could please go back and just reach out to me about what you liked about this episode, uh, what you'd like to see on an upcoming episode, any suggestions. I really could use your help with that. Uh, please just leave a little bit of feedback again at the WealthTacticRebels.com website. No, that's fantastic. Thanks, Lindsay, again. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Take care, WealthTech Rebels. Have a fantastic day. Want to really see things differently? Take our course in Genius Tactics 201, where we teach you all the wealth accumulating tactics with detailed real-life examples, see your progress with quizzes and a certificate of completion. For course details, visit WealthTacticRebels.com. Sign up today and start seeing things differently. This presentation is intended as informational only. The information presented does not consider your particular financial objectives, risk tolerance, time horizon, or other unique circumstances, and does not constitute a personalized recommendation or replace the advice of a financial, tax, or legal advisor or other qualified professionals. Do your own research and do not use the information of this presentation in place of a customized consultation with a licensed professional. To the best of our ability, we provide content that is accurate as of the date of release. However, we give no assurance or guarantee regarding its accuracy, timeliness, completeness, or applicability. We assume no liability for the information of this and related presentations.